You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. He is risen. He is risen. Yes, he is. You may be seated. Oh, we are so glad that you are with us here this morning. We had a fantastic service previously. So glad that you're here this morning. You've had some time to wake up now. So we're good to go and ready to go. And for all of you who are joining us online, either watching this in real time now or watching and listening to it as a recording later, we're so glad you're with us. Our folks who we have upstairs in our mask-only room, just glad that we get to be together this morning. Um, For those of you who I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jay. I'm the lead pastor. And really, on behalf of everyone around you, welcome. We're really glad you're here. Just a couple things if you do happen to be our guest this morning that I want to orient you to. The first is there's a number of us wearing these guys. And that's so we can be a help to you in any way possible. If there's anything you need this morning, please approach one of us with one of these tags. We would love to help you in any way we can. If you are a guest with us this morning, we want to especially welcome you. We have a little gift on the back resource table there that we would love to make available to you. And I'll talk about some other ways that we would just love to connect with you um, and, and invite you into deeper community later on in our service time. But so excited, so glad that you're here and that we get to be together. Um, I'd like to open our time now in God's word in prayer, and then we're just going to dive right into to, uh, the word this morning. So please pray with me. Lord, I thank you for each person who is here, each person who is watching and listening to this. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open your word to us this morning, that you would speak to us, that you would help us to see you for who you really are, that we would trust and obey you more fully, that we would know you, and that for those who are here, who are listening, who um, haven't received you into their lives, would this be that defining moment day for them? And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So um, for those of you who have been around our, our community here at Grace, you know that we love to do things in team. It really is part of the fabric of who we are as a church family. We have a production team. We have a worship team. We have a children's ministry team, a cafe team, a security team, a student ministry team, and a whole bunch of other teams that I won't take time to, to name. But we, we truly do believe in doing life together as a community and doing life together in teams. And one of those teams that we have is our preaching team. And, and many of you know about that. Maybe some of you don't. But every sermon that you hear here on a Sunday morning at any given time has about six sets of fingerprints on it because we work on our messages as a team. Every Tuesday morning, we meet and we evaluate the previous Sunday, and we have been given very necessarily a grid of values by our leadership team, by the elders, and um, we walk through that and make sure that we have um, hopefully satisfied that, met that with how we teach and proclaim God's word, how we enter into worship, how we equip you to know and love Jesus and to experience him in your life. But then we also plan for that next week. And so it was at a preaching team about four or five weeks ago when we had finished, and we meet at uh, an Elmer's restaurant here in Gresham, that I was getting ready to leave, and I hopped in my little Tacoma truck and um, pulled up to the light. And I'm the kind of driver who, when that little green arrow turns green, I go. (laughs) Have you ever been behind that person who doesn't go? 
If you're that person, repent. (laughs) Because you frustrate the rest of us, me included. But invariably, you're in this line of traffic, especially when it's rush hour traffic. It almost always happens when it's rush hour, just the way it works. And that very first person in line, the light turns green and they don't go. And they're looking at their phone or they're texting or, you know, they're doing whatever. And you're thinking, okay, you know, the light's green. Let's go. Let's get going here. Come on. I want to make this light. So I resolved long ago, I'm not going to be that guy. When the light turns green, I go. And so I'm sitting at this light and getting ready to go after preaching team and to head back here to Grace for a series of meetings that happen on Tuesdays. And all that being said, um, I realized that I hadn't put on my Bluetooth. And I try to maximize my time, and it's about a eh, 20, 25-minute drive from the Elmers we meet at to back here to Grace. And so I always at least am able to fit in a call to Jamie. I always call my wife, Jamie, and check in with her. And then um, I try to make another call if I can. And so I realized I didn't have my Bluetooth on as this light is about to turn green. And I saw that it turned green, but I also looked in the mirror and saw there's no one coming. There's no one behind me. It's just me at the light. So I can actually, you know, take a minute and put this on. So I quickly put it on, turn it on. And it literally takes like two or three seconds to do that. But understand, the light's been green for two, three seconds. And I begin to pull out into traffic, and here comes a U-Haul at me, 40, 50 miles an hour. Never saw the light, evidently. And right behind them was another car. So we're now talking four or five seconds into a red light in their direction, and they're plowing through the intersection. I, I barely missed them. I barely stopped in time. And so... I'm just trying to catch up to what just happened. And as I begin to pull through the intersection, all of a sudden my hands begin to shake. And I realize I never saw that coming. And my ticket just about got punched to go see Jesus that day. And I thought, whoa, what, what just happened? And it was kind of a defining moment for me, honestly, as I began to catch up to the events of, of what had happened so very, very quickly. And I just didn't, didn't see it coming. So I can tell you that now when I get the green arrow of happiness at the light, (laughs) I pause and look both directions before I head out there. I still go quickly. I'm not that guy who will frustrate you, but I do make sure I look both ways because I never saw what happened coming. We see a similar defining moment with these two disciples who are making this journey from Jerusalem to this, this little town, this little village called Emmaus. And this is often called the road to Emmaus. And I've titled this sermon, The Open Road to Emmaus, purposely. Because as we read this passage together in just a moment, I want you to watch for what gets opened in this passage. And with that being said, we, just, we need to do just very quickly a little business with some presuppositions, with some assumptions. I appreciate in a gathering this size, for those of you who are watching, listening online, that there are a wide range of spiritual journeys represented here. And honestly, there are some of you, you're still, to your credit, wrestling with and trying to figure out this whole Jesus resurrection thing. And some of you are there. And some of you, you're not really buying that there was a resurrection. But for our purposes this morning, because this is a post-resurrection story, I'm going to ask you if you would assume with me that the resurrection really did happen because that's really the frame of reference that this story will make sense from. So 
wherever you are in your spiritual journey, would you, would you join me in just assuming, believing that yes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ after three days in a tomb really did happen? And if that is the case, then what does this mean for your life and mine? Well, just so you can appreciate the timeline of things, so Jesus rises from the dead, and Mary and some women come to the tomb, and it's empty, and they run back to tell the disciples. And then we're told in the Gospel of John, another account of what happened that Easter Sunday, some 2,000 years ago, that John and Peter come to the tomb and see it empty. And somewhere in there, Jesus appears to Mary, evidently before she went back to tell the other disciples, and, and, she, and he appears to her. And now, this is where we pick up this story in the stories of what happened after Jesus' resurrection. So we have the road to Emmaus. Let me read this to you. You watch for what gets opened, and then we're going to enter this story and do some business with it. So here we go. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, he replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it is the third day since this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven. And those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. 
Now, I love this story. There is so much depth and so many layers to this. We don't have time to unpack all of it. But let's enter the story here for just a minute. There is so much humor, so much irony, so many twists and turns in this story. So it says Jesus himself came up on them. You ever been out walking or hiking or in my case running and had someone come up on you from the same direction? It happens all the time, right? Especially with my running, I run slow. Lots of people pass me when Jamie and I are out running. But you've all had that experience. Clearly, they were coming from the same direction you were. So the way this is written, presumably, assumably, Jesus is coming from Jerusalem as a fellow traveler. And so he comes up on them. But it says they were kept from recognizing him. And in the original language, this is called a divine passive. And that maybe is neither here nor there to you, but what it means is they couldn't recognize him because Jesus wouldn't let them. That's why they don't recognize him. He's not letting them recognize him. And so if that wasn't enough, he walks up to them knowing full well what they're talking about, right? He walks up to them and says, what you discussing? Okay, so maybe not like that in his Forrest Gump voice or whatever that was. But he does come up to them and says, what are you discussing? He knows what they're discussing. This is so funny. And so one of them named Cleopas, and again, just, you know, for details here, we don't know the details. We know there were two of them. Could have been a husband-wife team. Could have been Cleopas and his wife, or could have been Cleopas and a, another guy. We don't know. But this is what we do know is how Cleopas responds and again, remember, he's talking to God here. He's talking to Jesus. And I think to appreciate the flavor of this, let's, let's bring this home for you and me. Now, I'm not making light of this. I'm just making the point of information. How many of you, and please raise your hand, and those of you online, you need to do this too. Raise your hand if you've heard about the war in Ukraine. Maybe not even, you know, today, but you know, okay, don't be shy. Keep your hands up. We're making a point here. We're not looking to ostracize anyone, so keep your hands up. Okay, you can lower them. If someone came to you and asked what you were talking about, and you were talking with someone about the war in Ukraine right now, and they said, huh, never heard of it, what would you say to them? Now, you might be a little more restrained, but if you weren't, are you clueless? Where have you been? Have you been under a rock? Which Jesus could have said, yes, he was actually, but <laughs> right? But do you get that this is the flavor of this? They're saying this to Jesus. Are you clueless? Cleopas is saying, don't you get it? And you can almost feel the emotion in this. Look at this. So Jesus goes on to say, what things? And you can almost feel these people, we don't know, man or woman or two guys, but Cleopas and his companion going, who is this guy? How do you not get this? Because before telephones and cell phones and telegrams, it was teleperson. And everybody is talking in Jerusalem. Something like this, of this magnitude, of this scope that happened, everybody knows what's going on except this guy. And this is one of the many ironies in this. Who is it who's really in the know? Who is it who is actually kind of clueless about what's really happening? And so he tests them, I believe. And so he asks, what things? 
About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. You can just hear their disappointment and their sorrow, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this has took place, imagine. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels when he was alive and that some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Now, again, there's, there's so much going on in here, but if Jesus were to give them a letter grade by his response, what kind of a grade that you would think he would give them? D plus? C minus? So Jesus was only a prophet? Really? Now, in fairness, we can afford to be more than a little charitable to these folks. The speed at which these events had happened, all these things that had culminated in the death and suffering and the horrible crucifixion and torture of, of Jesus, of course they were struggling. Of course they were trying to make sense out of it all. And in fairness to them, don't we see that in almost every story about the resurrection and the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus? People were struggling to get their hands around this. We can afford to give them some charity. But it does beg the question then, so why was Jesus so frustrated with them? Because he was. How foolish you are and slow of heart to believe is not a compliment. So what was going on here? And in fairness to them, he was keeping them from recognizing him. Doesn't that feel a little unfair that he would get frustrated with them when he's the one keeping them from recognizing him? But again, and this is how I make sense out of this passage, and it's one of those that we wrestle with, it seems to me it's not that they aren't recognizing him because they can't. He's not letting them yet. It's that they're not recognizing who Messiah is. And once again, in fairness to them, if we go to the Old Testament, there were multiple figures that came together in the Messiah. There was this expectation, reasonably so, of a prophet. Deuteronomy 18 talks about this prophet who will, who will foretell what's coming, but who will also foretell the, the, the ways and the will and the kingdom of God. And then there's this, this priest who also has to be a part of this, who is going to represent... God to the people and the people to God. And then there's this promise of a king that one of David's descendants would always sit on the throne of Israel, but you had all these hundreds and hundreds of years where there wasn't a king, and how is that going to work? And then there's this picture in Daniel 7 of this son of man, this preeminent God, the God who's coming and is going to be worshipped and rule and reign. And then you have this suffering servant in Isaiah who's going to suffer ultimately for, for not just Israel, but for all people. And somehow all these different figures are going to come together in the promised one, the chosen one, the Messiah. But they knew this. But they hadn't connected the dots. And so Jesus helps them. And wouldn't it have been amazing to be a fly on the wall for that Bible study? It says he opened the scriptures. So he takes them back to the Old Testament and he begins to show them and help them understand. 
And again, there's, there's a lot of room for us to, to wrestle with this. Evidently, they were struggling because it tells us here, why did the Messiah have to suffer? Even though scripture, especially Isaiah and the suffering servant, that was all really clear. And how did it all fit together? Well, he begins, he begins to show them that. And do you realize, do you appreciate that not just all these figures coming together in Messiah could be confusing, but my friends, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus and about the Messiah. And by some counts, 366. So there's one for every day of the year and an extra one in case you miss one, right? And all these written hundreds, some thousands of years before Jesus shows up on the scene and he fulfills every single one of them. But again, it brings us back to the question, so why is Jesus frustrated with them? I don't think it's because they don't recognize him as the Messiah because he's preventing them to this point from doing that. It's because they're not truly understanding who Messiah is based on all these promises of God. But I wonder too if it isn't because of what is at stake with Jesus' burial and resurrection. Why it's so fundamental that they get that and understand that. And the same being true for you and me. I was in Hillsboro where I spend a lot of my time these days with my mom a couple days ago. Um, many of you know my mom is dying from small cell lung cancer, um, is on hospice, has a number of weeks to live. My sister and I are dividing up taking care of her and doing 24-hour shifts there. I'll be headed over there with my family after we're, after we're done here today. And I was coming back from um, one of my times with her a couple days ago. And as I'm driving away from her home, I come to this, this intersection. And I wasn't turning left, by the way, going straight. And... Across the intersection comes this dump truck. And on the side of this dump truck is written, In God We Trust. And right below it, in just as big a letters, Cancer Sucks. And I thought, I need that dump truck. <laughs> I need to drive that. Because I so resonate with that. I am, I am so there. But the cancer that is spreading through my mom's body is endemic and representative of a far deadlier cancer. It's in your genes, it's in mine, it's in our choices, it permeates who we are. And it's the cancer of sin. But it wasn't always like that. You see, God created this world to be shalom, to be what he always intended it to be, right relationship with us and him, right relationship with one another. And I just bet in this Bible study that Jesus did with these two disciples, he took them back to the book of beginnings, to Genesis, and he took them to the story of how humanity began. That God created Adam and Eve to be in a right relationship with one another and him. There was no sin, there was no selfishness, there was no brokenness in the world. It was everything the way God intended it to be. He told them not to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Satan enticed them, but they chose to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And at that point, sin, selfishness, brokenness, sickness, disease, physical death, all that then entered the world. And as God is rightfully addressing that and speaking into that and pronouncing judgment on Satan, he puts something into motion that is a promise. 
And I bet dimes to dollars Jesus went here with these disciples. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now there are other pronouns and descriptions here that are singular, but I highlighted those because I want you to see those are singular. This is not an idea. This is not a concept. This is a reality in a person. A promised one will eventually come who will right all wrongs, restore shalom, reverse all brokenness. This is the kingdom of God coming. This is the divine rescue plan. This amazing God could have said, you broke this world, you live in it, but he chooses to do just the opposite. We broke this world. Adam and Eve representing us broke this world, but we do our part with our choices and our selfishness and our own sin. And God enacts this rescue plan to put everything back to the way he always intended it to be. And then there's this promise that echoes over thousands and thousands of years. The promised one is coming. The promised one is coming. And then he comes. And I don't quite understand all of it, but I just know it's reality and it works. That Jesus comes and I think one of the things he was helping those disciples see is all the Old Testament sacrifices and that sacrificial system that can be so confusing, all of that was pointing to the culminating moment when one day the true sinless substitutional sacrifice would come in Messiah. He would show what life was meant to be looked like, right relationship with God, right relationship with others. He would then be crucified on a cross and somehow all the sin of the world, including yours and mine, all the selfishness would be put on him and then he would die and be buried and on the third day he'd rise again and there would be an exchange that takes place that for all who choose to receive him and welcome him into their lives through right relationship with him, he would remove our sinfulness and selfishness and all the yuck and give us his righteousness, his power for right living. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians tells us. So how do we respond? Because if we choose to respond to that, if we choose to receive this God into our life, it's power for now hope for now and hope for the future. But the reality is you can't believe this. Not on your own. You need his help to believe this. And one of the first things that Jesus opens here is their eyes to see who he really is. At first he keeps them from recognizing him, but did you see it when we read the overall passage? their eyes were opened and they recognized him. That's written in the same way. It's that divine passive again. Jesus is the one who opens their eyes. And he needs to open your eyes and my eyes for us to see him. Do you know what Jesus is doing? Do you know what he did some 2,000 years ago on that first Easter morning and in the days that followed before he ascended to heaven? He is going to people and helping them see him for who he really is. He's helping them to believe. It was true then, and it's true now. 
If you want to see him for who he really is, you need his help and you need to receive it. Because the gravitational pull of our sinfulness and selfishness so permeates whom we are, we need his help to see him for who he really is, just like those Emmaus disciples did. So let's, let's go there for a minute. So how is your belief this morning? Or to put it another way, how is your faith? And sometimes people will say, well, I don't have faith. Someone who is an atheist and doesn't believe in God claims, well, I don't have any faith. Yeah, that you're not being consistent or true to yourself or true to reality. Everybody has faith. You have faith in something or someone, maybe yourself, usually other things, maybe even other people. But the real question isn't if you have faith. The real question is, where is your faith? And has that faith been challenged in the last couple of years especially? Gosh, how could it not? With all that we've been through, with all that COVID and everything else that's come with it has thrown at us? Of course it has. And if that wasn't enough, we live in a culture that explicitly and implicitly tells us, well, you pick and choose what to believe. You know, you do what works for you, and I'll do what works, what works for me. And so we're constantly told, you know, keep your options open, or believe this, but don't believe all of it. And yet, the kind of belief that Jesus calls us to is that he unapologetically calls us to be all in. If you were with us on Good Friday, and if you weren't, this is a shameless plug for you to plan on coming next year. Good Friday is its own special sweet time of worship together. It was phenomenal. If you weren't there, you, you really did miss out. Or if you missed watching that online, you missed out. But if there's any possibility you can be there in person, especially next year, you gotta be there. It, it is so significant and so powerful. But in that passage we looked at, in the passage that Pastor Matt opened for us and took us through on Palm Sunday, one of these realities of Messiah is that he is king. He is king and Lord. He is not the divine life coach. He is not the divine life giver. He, uh, advice giver. He is the divine life giver, but not the divine advice giver. He unapologetically asks you and me to go all in and believe in him. You don't add this God to your life. You make him your life, which means he asks for an all-in commitment. And I wonder if one of the passages that Jesus took them to in the Old Testament was from a series that we just finished in Jeremiah, where in Jeremiah 29 it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He wants all of you. He will not settle for part of you. He will not share you and me with brokenness and sinfulness and selfishness. He calls us to something better. But you will not experience that and you will not see him for who he is until you receive his help. So have you? When is the last time you asked Jesus for his help so that you could see him for who he really is? And one of the primary ways we see him is illustrated for us right here. How does Jesus begin to help them recognize him? He takes them to all the promises about who he was. 
And again, I would have loved to have been a part of this Bible study, but we have a pretty good idea of what they talked about. He went back to the Old Testament and he showed them the reality that Jesus is in every single book of the Old Testament. He's talked about, he's prophesied, he's predicted, he's alluded to, he's held up as a model, on and on and on. Every single book of the Bible, the consistent thread through it, through the Old Testament is Jesus. And yes, can someone who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't have his help, understand the Bible? Well, you, yeah. You can understand the basic message of the Bible, but you truly need his help in order for it to come alive to you, for him to be real to you, for you to understand it. And of course, there are those passages, even this one, that we wrestle with and struggle with and we don't completely understand, but, but you need his help to understand his word. You need him to open the scriptures to you just like he did the Emmaus disciples. So here comes the question again. When's the last time you asked him to do that? Many of us, in anticipation of this very weekend, have spent the last 40 days reading scripture. Remember those bookmarks we handed out with the 40 days of scripture? And, you know, I, that really blessed me this year. It does every year, but... I'm the kind of person who I, I don't necessarily do it every single day. I mean, there were a number of times I began to read and I just couldn't stop and I cheated and went to, you know, days ahead and then other times I was looking at other stuff and reading other things in the Word and so I chose not to do it but I finished it and God revealed himself to me through it because I asked him to and I hope that that was your experience too but are, are you thinking about God's Word? Are you memorizing God's Word? Are you meditating on God's word? Because that's one of the primary ways he reveals himself to us. But then there's also this reality. It says that as they're, after their eyes have been opened, after he'd opened the scripture to them, and this isn't necessarily linear or sequential. Sometimes it all happens at once. Sometimes it happens in, in different ways. But it says their hearts burned within them. And that's more than just an emotional response. I mean, yes, that's an emotional response. And there are some who dilute that down to being the test for truth. Well, as long as your heart burns within you, then it must be true. Well, bad pizza can make your heart burn, right? <laughs> so that's not exactly the greatest test for truth. And that's not what's being talked about here. This was a very intimate, personal response. We're not disparaging it. This is a very significant thing that, that happens in their lives. But it's rooted in God's word. They get it, not just intellectually, but in their hearts. But it's because Jesus opens their heart. And some of you might be wondering, is my heart open to respond to the Lord? Well, I hope so. But I can absolutely guarantee you that God is speaking to you today because you're here because you're listening or watching. You see, the reality is no one asks spiritual questions about God. No one goes to church. No one begins to think about the things of God. No one begins to have an, an interest in, in reading the Bible. or what. None of that happens without the work of God in your life. I mean, you might be thinking, hey, you know what I'm doing, mom or grandma or family a solid by coming to church today or I come, you know, twice a year whether I need it or not at Easter or, or Christmas or, you know, I just wandered in here. I'm not sure why I'm here or I come here every week. You know, all, we'll take all those reasons you're here. We think that's fantastic. But here's the deal. 
You're here because God's at work in your life. No one seeks God on their own. You need his help. And the very fact that you were here proves that he is working in your life. Jesus said it this way in the Gospel of John. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up on the last day. My friends, no one wants you to see and understand and recognize Jesus for who he is more than Jesus. And if you will receive it, he will help you. If you will ask for it, he will meet you. And one of the dynamics, and we don't have a lot of time to, to go there, but we'll just mention it, that pervades, once again, all these post-resurrection stories where Jesus is showing up and giving people what they need to see him and recognize and respond to him, to believe in him. It always happens in community. What happens at the end of this story? These two Emmaus disciples run back to the other disciples and share with them what happened and they're processing and figuring it out together. Mary and the women do that. John and Peter do that. These Emmaus disciples do that. You see this consistently over and over again is that God is discovered in community. And I'd like you to, to experience a story that captures so many of these elements that we've talked about, so many of these spiritual realities that we've talked about here this morning. This is, this is David's story. And I want you to watch for these dynamics as you hear this. I didn't go to church. I didn't want anything to do with church. I was very against going to church. Later in, in our relationship, we got married in 2009. And she was really in every Sunday going to church, and I still wouldn't go. Easter Sunday and Christmas, maybe Thanksgiving, maybe three times a year I'd go with her. She brought up to me about this grace group in 2018, about going to uh, a Bible study, but she called it a dinner. She didn't say it was a Bible study, but I knew it was a Bible study. Very first meeting of the Grace Group was me sitting there like a bump on a log, doing nothing, and it was okay. They didn't they didn't ad, ad, admonish me for what I had. They just uh, accepted me for being there. During that season of 2018, I grew to be really close to these people, all six couples. Towards the end, I was giving them half my life story and, and talking and they were uh, just loving me. I mean it was, I, I couldn't even fathom that these people existed. I, I, I just uh, got to where I really enjoyed going and, and I know it was changing my heart. It was really, the Lord, the Lord was there every time that we had a meeting. Four weeks ago, I believe it was four now, Sharon wanted me to come to church with her and, and I was more than happy. I was, you know, it was no negative thoughts in my mind. At the beginning of the, ser of the service, they were singing in one of my favorite parts and they were singing, How Great Thou Art. And I was standing up 
And all of a sudden, my legs just started shaking. I started crying. I couldn't hold on to anything. I was holding on to the pew to hold myself up. And, and it was just like a great big warmth entered into my heart. And, and it's just like, I just started feeling at peace. And, and I just sat down and I didn't want to say anything to anybody. I just, I, I didn't know what it was. You know, at first I was like, did the Lord just enter me? It was, I was, I was, I was just, uh, I just walked out, went out to the car. I couldn't do it. I couldn't, uh, I was just, I didn't know what to say. And, and I, I believed he did. I did believe he did. And it was like a peace because I was feeling guilty because of my gambling in the earlier years and I couldn't get rid of that guilt for Sharon. And it all went away, everything. The Lord had entered my heart. Jesus had entered. The door had opened. That was my very first thought. And, and it was like, I was both amazed and scared. And I know he works in the shadows all the time, all the time. He's there working on me all the time. And Sharon and I have just like, we've grown like this ever since. Ever since that happened. It's, it's, uh, and I love it. <laughs> I'm just so totally, totally happy. And it's, I don't know how else to say. Uh, uh, it was just that feeling that he was there the whole service. And that's my story. Ah. And thank you, David, for sharing your story with us. David is in this service with us this morning. So what's your story? What is the next step of faith for you? You know, for some of you, I'm sure, in a gathering this large, this many watching, listening online, you realize that you've never had that defining moment where you receive Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior. And this is the time. You know, when God asks us to trust and obey him, it's never, um, yeah, I'll think about that. I'll take that under advisement or I'll weigh that out. No, his timing is always now. And so in just a moment, I'm gonna pray and encourage you, invite you, that if you wanna make that choice, you can do so here this morning. For others of you, the next step of faith for you might be baptism. You see, in, in our spiritual journey, when we have received Jesus into our life, a very necessary next step is to declare that publicly by, by getting baptized. And in just a moment, we have folks who will be doing just that. But there are some of you, again, who came here this morning who didn't have baptism on your mind. And we would like to take away every excuse you might have to get baptized now, this morning, even if you weren't planning on it. We have clothes for you to wear, plenty of water, it's warm. And we would love to see you do that. We had people in the last service spontaneously get baptized. So over here in this corner is our Gary Brashears. Gary is one of our 
preachers and elders here. You see him up here occasionally. And he's over there to connect with you. If you would like to get baptized here this morning, would you go and talk with him? And we'll make sure you're squared away and, and get you back there and get you ready. We had people this last service choose to do that. We hope that you'll consider doing that if you haven't been baptized. We're going to be singing some songs together now and worshiping once again. You have, you know, three songs to think about that and weigh that out. For those of you who are watching and worshiping online, we've literally had people who have heard this invitation online drive here and get baptized. And if you can't drive here in three songs, the good news is we have another service for you at 11:30, and we've had people do this. You come, we would love to baptize you in the next service. But as we sing and say these words, if you need to just process and think and let things sink in, you're always welcome to do that too. That's an act of worship too. But here's the deal. Will you ask the Lord to help you with the next step of faith? What is the next step of faith for you? Let's worship together. You know, the amazing thing about this God is that when he opens your eyes and opens your heart and opens his word to you to receive him, all you have to do is ask. All you need is need. And so my encouragement to you is, is to do just that. You don't need me to lead you in a prayer. You can talk directly to God yourself and receive him. And if you have done that, we want to help you begin to grow in that. For those of you who are online, at the bottom of our webpage and our footer, there's a link you can hit um, for prayer. And it's um, right there. Just please hit that. Let us know that you've received the Lord. We would love to help you grow in that. And for those of you here um, in the room, we want to unapologetically invite you into deeper community as well. Next Sunday, between the services, and remember, we're going back to our normal service times, 845, 1045. But between that 840, 1045 service, um, we are going to be having something called Foundations of Faith. And I am personally inviting you to this. I'm going to co-facilitate it with Pastor Matt Patrick. And if you have received the Lord today, if you've recently received the Lord, if you're still wrestling and have questions and just want to dialogue some more, this is the time for you. And we've deliberately placed it between those two services next weekend. So you can come to the first service and go, or you can go and then go to the second service. And if you, some of you want to stay beyond that, then we'll just continue to go together. We're going to do this for three weeks. We would love to invite you into that. Also, we want to invite all of you to come back on Tuesday night because another way we're looking to create community is we're going to be watching the Chosen series together for five weeks. And sometimes you hear about a series like this and you go, yeah, is it really that good? I've seen all the episodes. These are reenactments of the life of Jesus and it is so extremely well done. This is something we'd love to invite you to come back for. And if you're going to watch a movie together, you got to have popcorn, right? We'll have popcorn. We'll have some other stuff. We're going to gather here starting this Tuesday night from 6 to 7.30. Bring someone with you and let's enjoy some community together. For those who want to stick around and talk about this, we will. Otherwise, we're just gathering to be together. And then finally, let's bring up the next thing. And that is that if you are a guest with us this morning, we just want to welcome you here. You are a welcome addition to our community. And as soon as we're done here in just a few moments, if you go out that door in the back there and go to the left, 
my left, your right. There's our cafe. We have a group of folks with um, our Next Steps team who would love to meet you, would love to buy you a coffee. And on your way out there, please grab a gift bag, just our way of thanking you for being here this morning. But would you stand with me as we prepare to go from here? And last but not least, if you're still thinking about baptism, one more service and we got more water. So stick around. Gary Bershears is right over here. Go talk to him. We would love to immerse you in the next service. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, in our sin, in our selfishness, it is by grace you have been saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Let me pray his blessing over you from here. Lord, I thank you for each person who's watching and listening to this. I thank you for those here in the room. Lord, thank you that you are the God who wants us to see you, wants us to know you, wants us to recognize you and understand you. Lord, would you continue to reveal yourself to us today? We celebrate you and your resurrection and what that means. In Jesus' name, amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Go live that out. We'll see you this next weekend. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.